Governor McMaster inspires state pride as he discusses the three E's during his inaugural address. 210 Democrats inside the United States House of Representatives say if you botch an abortion, the baby still deserves to die. And along with his docudrama, Joe Biden's diversity hires aren't really working out. Well, they're working they're out not, exactly how we thought they they're would. They're not flying too well? They're working out exactly how we thought they would. Are they reading that? Find out what yes. your IQ is. Find out what your IQ is right after this on the podcast. Welcome into the fastest growing conservative podcast in the state of South Carolina, the Palmetto Family Matters podcast. Justin Hall, Mitch Prosser, Dave Wilson. I won't skip you this time. I skipped you and went to Dave and then worked back. So I get you it first. Was circular. Save the best for last. Circular. Sicular, if you will. So, first, <laughs> speaking of, of words that, never mind. Uh, speaking of a lot of words, that don't exist. we go to the inauguration of oh, Governor Henry McMaster. Henry, excuse me. Henry Dargan McMaster uh, on Wednesday on the front side of the state house. That's right, the front side, which is the back side if you're looking from the back. Anyway, the good side. The good side. Anyway, actually, the more pretty side, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the governor spoke, guys, for about 20 minutes or so. Dave was, I'll go ahead and do the flex. Dave was doing some coverage with WLTX, uh, which was also shown on uh, ETV. So I saw more of Dave on ETV than Gavin Jackson, which is strange. Um,. Listen, I thought it was a good speech, gentlemen. Uh, he, he started his speech with this beautiful story of, uh, of, of a drawing in his office. Yeah. Uh, and what was written about South Carolina in the 1700s while we were still yet a colony of the tyrant King George, of course. And he just, he just worked his way and molded his way through a beautiful tapestry of what South Carolina is. The first applause line actually was that we it was now ours. and it was, it, I think he said something along the lines that it used to be King George's and now it's ours. Now it's and out. people right. just erupted in yeah, applause. They it was a great line. I think this is the place where Henry McMaster has done a great job of creating a level of true state pride. Absolutely. And I think that that carries itself through. You see it in, in the way that we look at economic development. You see it in the his approach to what we're going to do to protect the environment of South Carolina, there's a reason people come here. A lot of it is the politics is so much better than everywhere else you've probably been. But at the same time, we've got a beautiful place that we that yeah. we call home. And he wholeheartedly agrees with that. And, and that goes to the point of him being, him having reached the pinnacle of what he wanted to do. You mentioned this on, on the coverage, that this is all he's ever wanted. There is to be governor of South Carolina. There is no other thing that, I mean, you, you, you look at Henry McMaster's history. He was Richland County GOP chairman. He was the state Republican Party chairman. He was the first U.S. attorney under Ronald Reagan. Uh, he became and ran for several offices. Eventually, he became attorney general of South Carolina, lieutenant governor of South Carolina. Now he's starting his second full term. Remember, he had a half-term there with Nikki Haley. And Nikki Haley went to become the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations under Donald Trump. McMaster rose and completed that term, won his first full term four years ago, won his second full term wholeheartedly Mm. against the the vice governor wannabe. Mia McLeod mentioned that. Who? There were a lot of people who mentioned a lot of things about me and McLeod. It's true. We'll go I can't get to that a little bit later. But you know, Henry McMaster, 
Now, if he serves this full term out, will be the longest serving governor from South Carolina history. And I think he's um, now again. You have the unbridledness of I don't have to run for re-election again. He, he doesn't have to woo voters anymore. No, he doesn't. And as a matter of fact, you saw him very distinctly use the bully pulpit that is the governor's Absolutely. office of South Carolina as he wrapped up his speech. Yeah, he certainly did. This this moment, uh, he had several applause lines. Yeah. Yeah. But this is a good flex. But this, this is the moment where, and I want you to look, and we'll come back and show you who started the standing ovation right after we hear this from the governor. We must also ensure that the public has confidence in whom and how we elect all of our judges, how we select our judges, by making the processes more transparent and accountable so that every South Carolinian, born and unborn, may enjoy life, liberty, and happiness. as I know, that's the only standing ovation, except for the end of the speech, that's the only standing it ovation was. in the speech. And, and it was, so let's put it into its cultural and historic context real quick. It was just last week. If you're listening to the Power of the Family Matters podcast, the fastest growing conservative podcast in that's South Carolina. Two. Ding. There we go. Then you begin, and you will remember the fact that the South Carolina Supreme Court in a 3-2 decision overturned a landmark piece of legislation in South Carolina that was our heartbeat law that basically said if there's a heartbeat is detected, it's the responsibility of the state of South Carolina to protect that life. That was a signature piece of legislation that Governor McMaster signed into law in February of 2021. Right. Then the Supreme Court, in the 3-2 decision, led by Justice Kay Hearn, who is on her way out, mm-hmm. retiring, said <laughs> basically, well, we're just going to find the right of privacy, there is a right of privacy, but we're going to find that that extends beyond what can be done to protect you from search and seizure to protect your right to an abortion in South Carolina, which is absolutely ridiculous, which goes back to how in the world do we have three liberal justices in a state where we have had conservatives in the legislature for the last two plus decades? If you haven't listened to our podcast from last week on the decision, I want you to hit pause right here and go back and listen to that podcast because it is fundamental to understanding exactly what happened. And as we pointed out last week, very clearly, judicial activism at its finest and the nonsensical treatment of the Constitution according to, you know, some sort of uh, right to privacy found. And and, and there is a right to privacy found in the uh, SC state constitution as opposed to the U.S. constitution. Mm -hmm. Uh, So now that you're back from having listened to that, there's a lot that went into that. And the judicial activism is a result of, uh, how would you describe how the judicial process plays out or the selection process plays out? the selection process for judges in South Carolina is done by constitutionally designed the Judicial Merit Selection Committee. So they have people who apply to be a part of our judicial system. Mm-hmm. They go through, they call through those, they find out whether or not you are qualified. Uh, do you have the right 
education, do you have the right experience to be able to be a judge in South Carolina? And then, by statute or by law, they pare that down to three that they put on a ballot. So they choose what's supposed to be the best three out of however many that there are. You could have ten who have applied. Nine may be qualified, but they have to choose three. That process is where you can then think about who's making the decision about who those three are because the Judicial Merit Selection Committee is not in and of itself necessarily conservative. The members of that committee, there are only two, maybe four, who have any level of conservative credentials. The rest of them are very liberal. And when you look at who gets put out onto the ballot, it is done by a majority vote of the Judicial Merit Selection Committee. Mm-hmm. So imagine what types of judges we end up with in South Carolina. Yeah. Ones that can actually look at the constitution of our state, a law that is passed, and find a law that protects human life unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. Because it goes against the right of privacy, which has absolutely nothing and no grounding in abortion right. in the way that it was founded when that abortion amendment I'm sorry, when that privacy amendment was put into our mm-hmm. constitution in nineteen seventy one. And so we'll see what strides the legislature and the General Assembly will take in twenty twenty three and twenty twenty four in order to reform some of our judicial systems here in South Carolina. The abortion issue is not done in Washington. Uh, Just this past week, the majority in the United States House, the Republican majority, pushed forward on legislation called the, let me make sure I get this wording right because the uh, the titles matter, the uh, Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act, which says that any infant born alive after an attempted abortion is, quote, a legal person for all purposes under the laws of the United States. Doctors, doctors would be required to care for those infants as a reasonably diligent and conscientious health care practitioner would render to any other child born alive. The bill passed 220 to 210. No surprise, straight not, down party line. But it's not going to go anywhere because the United States Senate's not going to pick it up, and the president certainly won't either. All 200 of the 10 no votes came from Democrats. Only... One Democrat voted for the bill. That was Representative Henry Cuellar of Texas. And one other Democrat, Representative Vicente Gonzalez of Texas, didn't vote yes or didn't vote yay, didn't vote nay. She voted present. present. Imagine that. Um, or it might be he. I'm not sure. Anyway, the point is what we then have on the floor of the House and in the uh, press area at one point. I'm going to play you four clips back to back. These are the arguments that the Democrats, including the minority leader, made for why they didn't vote for babies born alive after abortion attempts to receive medical care to then keep them alive. This, this is the Democratic Party of the United States. And then on Wednesday, they made it clear they're going to do everything possible to impose a nationwide ban on abortion detonate reproductive freedom, criminalize abortion care, and impose government-mandated pregnancies on the American people. That's what their legislation yesterday was all about. 
That's this week in extreme mega Republican land. It's quite unfortunate. We remain committed to trying to find common ground to solve problems that the American people care about. We also remain committed to a woman's freedom to make her own reproductive health care decisions. That's a big difference between House Democrats and the extreme mega Republican agenda. The problem with this bill is not that it makes anything, that it is not that it provides any new protections for infants. The problem with this bill is that it endangers some infants by stating that that infant must immediately be brought to the hospital, where, depending on the circumstances, that may be the right thing to do for the health and survival of that infant, or it may not. That is the problem with this bill. It, it, it um, um, directs and, and mandates a certain medical care which may not be appropriate, which may be in danger the life of an infant in certain circumstances. That's why we oppose this bill, not it. As, uh, as our chairman had said, not only is it illegal to not care for a born infant, but the, the law that you have provided on the Republican side actually can create more harm. It requires immediately taking a struggling baby to a hospital. That hospital could be hours away and could be detrimental to the life of that baby. This is nothing more than the part of the effort to make abortion illegal nationally in this country. I object and I urge a no vote and yield back. Court ...of parental and maternal rights and in opposition to H.R. 26. I'm the first mother in history to represent West Michigan in Congress. This matter is deeply personal to me. I recently shared publicly about my own experience navigating a complex miscarriage and the loss of my daughter. As a pro-choice Christian, who chose life. This issue is so personal to me. My faith informs my actions, but it doesn't dictate the policy of an entire nation. And further, when I read the scripture, I turn to passages and I'm guided by passages like Jeremiah 1 verses 5, which states, I knew you before I formed you and I placed you in your mother's womb. It doesn't say the government's womb or the speaker's womb. It says the mother's womb. I believe life is precious, but I reject the idea that if I embrace the sanctity of life, I also must be forced to invite the federal government in to regulate it. We must protect families from unnecessary government intrusion into the most sacred and personal decisions of our the lives and our children's expired. lives. Thank the you. Well, thank God her time expired. Can I just say one thing? All four of these people, Hakeem Jeffries, Jerry Nadler, and the two inconsequential congresswomen that spoke after them, and really the first two were inconsequential as well, they're foaming at the mouth. They don't know what to do because how dare House Republicans present legislation that if a child is born at an abortion clinic after a botched abortion, that that child deserves medical care? How dare you? How dare you assume that that child wants to even live? How dare you? This is, the, the, 
I am so serious when I tell you that you just looked squarely into the face. You two, I did, all of you did. You just looked square into the face of evil. Evil. And hypocrisy. Because yep. you know, I, I find it very <clears throat> ironic when Jerry Nadler gets onto the floor of Congress to start preaching about mandating medical care. When at the same time they're demanding mandates for vaccinations and everything else that goes on, don't don't sit here and tell me that you can't that we can't mandate medical care when you turn around and mandated <clears throat> medical care for every member of our military, which that has now been rescinded. Right, thank God. But there were members of our military who were like, "Listen, they're, they're, if they demand the booster, I'm gone." I talked to one the other day, mm-hmm. ran into a guy who I had known. He said recruitment is down tremendously. Mm-hmm. It's always down during Democrats. Just, just that's a, a fact. fact. Yeah, it's a facts fact. Facts don't care about your feelings. No, but he said recruitment is down, retention yep. is down, and he said I was ready to to retire and walk out the door for one more mandated medical care from my federal government. So don't play this hypocrisy, Jerry. Okay, it's just absolutely ridiculous that if you've got a person who's alive. That you're not willing to turn around and say, I'm going to do everything I can to protect this person's life? Then why in the world are you in Congress? Speaking of <coughs> hippo, I'll tell you, Hi- Hippocrates is rolling in his grave. If you don't know who that is, he's a Greek physician who came up with this oath. The consequential bit of this oath that nearly every, the Hippocratic Oath, right. which nearly every medical professional takes, the, the, the crux of that oath is to do no harm. However, in the original Hi- Hippocratic Oath, there is a line in which, of course, it's Greek. They spell out that they would never cause a woman to have an abortion. Yes, if you go back and look at the original Hippocratic Oath, it's there. Hippocrates and any common sense person who hears this kind of garbage is losing their mind right now, understanding that it's a human being. No, they, it's an extreme MAGA Republican agenda. Oh, in that cute little reality bubble where, you know, crazy people that wear red hats and and march on Washington the extreme insurrect MAGA Republican agenda. That's you what know, Hakeem you know, uh, Jeffrey said. Jamie Harrison said the same thing. Of course. Jamie Harrison said the exact same thing. And th- this is the kind of rhetoric that gets you a loss after spending $200 million. But of course, some people just fail upward. Now he runs the Democratic Party. Uh, they also lost uh, this past November. The point is, you have a group of people who are, and, and, and forgive me, hell-bent on doing a couple of things. Killing people. Killing children, number one. Killing old people here coming up soon. Just stay tuned for that one. See Oregon. Killing killing children, killing old people, and if that doesn't curb the population growth enough, then we'll go one step further and we'll just mutilate all the children. Gender therapy. If we just mutilate all the children and just completely make it impossible for them to reproduce, then we'll do that. Well, Jordan it, Peterson did an interview, I caught two minutes of it, with a, with a woman who had transitioned to be a, a, a girl to a boy, 19 years old now, trying to go back, of course, but can't go back fully, no. and is now experiencing, and, and, and it breaks your heart, because the, 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 girl, the girl's now saying, I'm experiencing 
major sexual dysfunction at the age of 19. Because of... She's weeping. Yeah, because she has gender dysphoria, which if you go back, and I'm, I'm going to get technical for just a second, if you go back to the DSM-4, gender dysphoria is a real thing. Now in the DSM-5, which is the psych psychiatric manual that most clinical psych uh, physicians, uh, psychiatrists use, they use the DSM-5, mm -hmm. they erased gender dysphoria from the DSM-5. Sure. We're, Sounds like we're, a cool car. we're not even changing words. We're just erasing definitions as if it didn't exist anymore. This reminds me of, uh, I was listening to a podcast this morning, and they were talking about uh, the, the Russian government and how if you disagreed with the Russian government, they would just erase you. However, they didn't have the technology, and so when they would cut you out of a picture, your hands and other things that were wrapped around people would still exist. So while in one picture there were five people, there were six sets of hands. Yeah. Um, if you don't agree with the forces that be on the power. gender, the, the, power, the power. I'm calling it the power. You may or may not be <coughs> All right. I, it, it Stand up. It people. finally clicked for me earlier this week when somebody started continuing to gripe about Paul Ehrlich in mm. the 60 Minutes interview. Okay. Mm -hmm. This is a 90 year old biologist who in 1970s put mm -hmm. out a book called The Population Bomb, which basically said the earth's not going to be sustainable, we're not going to be able to population, we're not going to be able to grow enough food, we're not going to be able to... population has since doubled. Right. It went, from, th it went yeah. from 3.5 million, we're now, billion, we're now pushing 8 billion. This is what he said, folks, in an interview that aired New Year's night. He said... <laughs> The rate of extinction, 90 years old, still arguing the same stuff that he argued, what, 50 years ago? Yes. The rate of extinction is extraordinarily high now and getting higher all the time. Humanity is not sustainable. Now, here's the part about it where you begin to see why is all this stuff going on. To maintain our lifestyle, yours and mine basically, for the entire planet, you'd need five or more Earths. Not clear where they're going to come from. He then goes on and talks about the fact that he is alarmed by this. We need to have fewer people because the earth is unsustainable. Now, start laying these little Venn diagrams on top of each I other. I love Venn diagrams. Venn diagrams are like the three circles. Are we going there yet? No, we'll go to her in a Hold second. On that We're in the middle of all three. As the fastest growing conservative <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Ding. There we go. Well, in South Carolina. Well, Ding. Southeast. Oh, no, Ever, so, everywhere. But if you want if to, the, if there's too much population, sure, we've got to get rid of people. Sure. If the earth is unsustainable, we've got to do climate change, which means sure. we've got to get rid of people. And all of this stuff is based people around... People being the problem. People are the problem. Why do people listen to someone who is perpetually wrong? I don't know. Now, don't, well, don't, uh, don't get speaking, me wrong. speaking of that... <laughs> don't get me wrong. This is America, and in a free country, everyone has the right to be wrong. True. But Dr. Ehrlich... I, Dude's been wrong since. I mean, it's like they should make a T-shirt for him. Says like wrong since 1865. Never right. been wrong. Speaking, there you go. Another good setup. Speaking of being wrong since 1865, the president. Don't pick on Uncle. So 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 you so you remember? Let's let's quick deep quick quick deep dive. I didn't know if I wanted to get into whole to the whole document drama thing, but I do. Really? Because if you remember, if you remember, Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton. She had a lot of documents. She had a lot of documents. Madam Three they Thorns. were they were on her own 
email server. Anybody? Now, now again, now again, real quick, real quick, presidents, <laughs> yes, presidents can unilaterally declassify classified information. Right. The Secretary of State can. She had classified documents on her own private email server. That appears to be the most fraught with potential problems for people to apprehend that information. If we could uh, rewind back to when I was chilling on the beach in Jekyll Island, Georgia, uh, the president's uh, resident, uh, former residents got raided by the FBI. Strangely, cameras were there. It was weird how the TV just knew. Um, so his place Almost gets raided. Like Turns out he has documents as well <coughs> that were strewn about, and then they took pictures, and somehow the media got hold of the pictures. Crazy. Um, both of those are wrong. Both of those are wrong. You shouldn't take anything out of the White House you didn't take into it. Especially if it's classified information. Right. Okay? I took a napkin. Well, that that's different. It said the White House. That's a little different. Is that okay? That's well, like taking a bar of soap from the hotel. White, it's a white napkin, and it says the White House like on the bottom corner. It's like a, it? it's, I, that's you a get, good question. Do you get 44 signature on it? 44, yes. He and I are tight. BHO, uh, we're, we're, so, we're homeboys. So Southside Chicago, baby. When when Donald Sorry. Trump, yikes. When <laughs> Donald Trump, never mind, I'm going to avoid the joke. I'm going to avoid the joke. So so whenever Donald Trump's documents got revealed, yes. Joe Biden, the current president of the United States, President Houseplant, and arch nemesis of Corn Pop, said, <laughs> only on this podcast said, can you get this kind of stuff. Said that, said that it was completely irresponsible and how, how, how could somebody do that? <laughs> Completely irresponsible. Good question, if you remember. Since then, yes. we have now had two dumps of, <laughs> of documents. One was found inside the, pen, the Biden Pen Center, which apparently Joe Biden is smart enough and capable enough to have a diplomatic center with one of the highest universities in the world. Yeah. College campus. Uh, and then... It was determined that they found some in his home in Delaware. Now, all we knew, all we knew is that they were in his home in Delaware. By the way, his home in Delaware and the Penn Biden Center, Biden Penn Center, whatever, neither one of those are skiffs. Were they hiding in the gas range that he's trying to ban? I can't even get to that today. Here, we didn't know where they were. And now I say thank God for Peter Ducey because Peter Ducey slips in a word in his question that he had really no way of knowing if it was true or not. Maybe he did. But the president could not help himself. Watch it. This happened two days ago or yesterday. Listen, listen to the president's response to Peter Ducey's question. Classified material. Next to your Corvette, what were you thinking? Let me, uh, look, I'm going to get a chance to speak on all this, God willing, soon. But as I said earlier this week, people, and by the way, my Corvette's in a locked garage. Okay, so it's not like you're sitting out in the street. So the but at any rate, was in a locked garage. yes, as well as my Corvette. So now we know they were in the... The classified documents are in a locked garage. Right next to the stairs. Guys, guys. Next to this Corvette. Guys. And the only... Listen. Super, super secure. Super safe. The only other person... The only other person that would have been in the garage would have been my 
totally capable Sun Hunter. So, so, so not only this. Wait, wait, wait. Is it next to Hunter's artwork? His artwork, his crack pipes, all of it. So the point, the point we have. I just listen. It's wrong when anyone does it. So I, I, I'll, I'll give credit where credit's due. The former president should not have taken classified documents either. Now, did he declassify them? We don't know. Joe Biden's documents are not from when he's been president. They were from when he was vice, vice president. president and the most inconsequential vice president until the current one. Well, I mean, Dick In Cheney modern. was consequential. Uh the, Maybe for the wrong reasons. Ask the guy ask in the, the, guy in the woods. Field. So, <laughs> the point is, he took these documents and could not declassify them. So, they've only been sitting in his garage. They've been moved around. We don't know for how long. And they've been in his home in Delaware. Now, the bigger question becomes, like, you guys have people over at your house. You invite guests. You weren't even a vice president at one point. You're so, Hey, listen. You have people over at your house, and it's probably not even the former head of Ukraine to get that one guy fired. That Joe Biden probably had him over. Collusion. So. That's impeachable, right? Well, it was for 45. Now we just want to put bus in the House of Representatives. The point is, we don't know who was there. So, in comes Peter Ducey again. This time with the press secretary. The very good at this, best press secretary in the history of press secretarianism. Corinne Jean-Pierre. KJP. He asked her a very simple question and watched the liberal head explode and then wait for the end because it's really funny what she does to get away from the question. When will the White House release a log of visitors to the Wilmington House? You know, um, Peter, you've asked this question or as your colleagues have asked this question before. Let's not forget uh, what we did here in this White House. We instituted something that the last administration got rid of, which is putting out the White House, uh, putting, uh, making sure that there was a White House log, extensive White House log, so the American I mean, people the got to see... again, house where again, there is potentially again, unsecured, well, classified I, material. Again, I am telling you, we did something that the last administration got rid of, which is instituting the White House logs. Uh, did you ask the last administration why they got rid of the White House logs? Okay, let's go. Okay, let's go. Well, we did Fox did? Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. We have the records for the Delaware Red Oh, I'm sorry. I was calling the gentleman who wanted to ask a question that was not related to this. Go ahead. Thanks, I, I know I'm a little behind the news cycle here, but I want to go back to yesterday's uh, op-ed from the president on big tech regulation. Um, in Washington State, we've got... Uh... So, first, I want to get to the when she got away from the question. Um, I want to... She calls on somebody else, but the guy in front of him, have you ever been like in a classroom or something or in a Bible study and like you get called on, but it's actually the person behind you and you start talking, it's really awkward. So she calls on somebody. I love it when people are waiting. like never been called on before. Yeah, and he's like, he's like, oh, oh well, I finally I'll, get a question. I'll ask you about the documents too, Corinne. And she's like, no, 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 no. Sit down, plebe. I'm asking the guy back there who's not going to ask me about I love this. it when people are waving and I think they're like waving at me and then I realize it's the guy behind oh, me. Oh, it's like, terrible. Or when somebody waves at you from their car and you're like, I have no clue who you they're are. Corvette. But I, yeah, they're a yellow Corvette. Um, and they're throwing papers out of it. It's weird. Um, <laughs> I don't need this. <laughs> Declassify this. Anyway, uh, Corinne, Corinne Jean-Pierre 
Uh, this is one example that I'm going to get to as we wrap up the podcast today because I want to keep you timely. I don't want to keep you for too long. Um, the, the, the diversity hires are not exactly working out big-time major fun for, for Joe. Um, it's only anyone, causing a few issues, like 10,000 flights that didn't can anyone name the Can anyone name any previous Secretary of Transportation? Rick Perry. Oh, he was Secretary of Energy. Oh, yeah, he was Energy. After Elaine wanting, Ch- after wanting, after wanting to dismantle oh, the EPA right. in twenty twenty. Elaine Chow. Elaine Chow was one. That's good okay. because she's the wife of Mitch McConnell. Oh, right. Okay. I'm not saying that's her only claim to fame. I don't mean to sound sexist. No, 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 no. You're, no, no. You, you can't, can't look it cheat. up. I'm looking it up. Damn. Oh, was Amy Klobuchar that? No, no, no. She's okay. been also okay. searched for. She's also searched. So, 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 um. Pete Buttigieg is the current Secretary of Transportation. The what qualifies him? What qualifies him he for had this? Been the mayor, he, he had been the mayor of South Bend. He's the mayor of South. He's the, former, he's the former mayor of South Where Bend. With Ben Southwoods. He he <laughs> he ran for president. I'm going to And he also is super duper gay. I'm going to well, since you brought it up, I'm going to read the very first line. It, it as secretary, and it says all this stuff. Here's the first line of the third paragraph in his bio on the USDOT website. The first. Would you, would you like to put this up on the screen? The no. Just to make me on the screen. They can't lead with, like, okay, he's doing this. The first openly gay person confirmed to serve in the president's cabinet. Who cares? Who? Somebody who can do the daggone job. Listen, when we listen. led with IQ, this is what we're talking about. Not brain smarts. Because they don't have any. Intersectionality quotient. Here's, we no longer live in a meritocracy. Well, it was like Corinne Jean-Pierre, who was the first openly gay trans. No, no she's not, not, she's not trans. Less openly lesbian, black lesbian. lesbian. She's the first black person to be press secretary, isn't she? She's the first black lesbian. You remember when people used to get hired because of their like resume and qualifications yeah. and capabilities? That's right. You're a little young for that. <laughs> oh, okay. uh, ba- back in the uh, day, back in the day, you actually had when to be he, really good when, at being able like, to like when they were still banging rocks together and stuff. Yes. Um, <laughs> me and when John, when you're, me and John on the island of Patmos. He was one of the thirteen people in the boat rowing Dave, George Washington across the Delaware to Dave's, fight the Hessians. Dave's prom theme was fire. Um, so. <laughs> It was the latest, hippest thing. Um, speaking of the latest, hippest thing, when you wake up in the morning and uh, every single flight has been grounded in the United States for the you first know, time since 9-11. It does. We don't know why. Um, well, well, yes, we do. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Pete Buttigieg, former yes. mayor of South Bend who couldn't even fill a daggum pothole, is here to tell you how he, as transportation secretary... Which, by the way, I hope someone filled him in meant more than him just being an actual secretary. Um, here's no what, offense to secretaries out there. No, none, none. But he has no idea what he's doing, so he doesn't understand, like, at all. Here is what Pete Buttigieg had to say about the FAA's grounding of all flights due to something. I think we need for the next five years to make sure that FAA has everything that they need in terms of systems, resources, and staff. I think this gives us a really important data point and a really important moment uh, to understand 
what we're going to need uh, moving forward. Uh, but obviously, our more immediate focus is technical, understanding exactly how this happened, uh, why the redundancies and the backups that were built into the system were not able to prevent the level of disruption that we saw today, and to make sure that we have 100% clarity on any and all steps that are needed so that it can't happen again. Well, that's good, because I was super worried you were only going to get like 20% clarity, and you weren't going to get to the root cause of what happened. I, I just assumed you wouldn't, but because you're uh, former mayor of South Bend and gay, I mean, I have full confidence in you, I guess. It was a 90-minute ground stop of flights across the United States of America. Yeah. At, this on the heels of Southwest canceling right. thousands of flights. By the way, if you're somebody who might be traveling out of the country in like a month, Anybody as someone who is, as someone who is yes. uh, fairly concerned. Fairly concerned. Well, it really, so here's the, the flip side of this, is it really begins to disrupt every part of yes. business. It has it's, it's disruption to families. So you sit here and you go, okay, well, he says, we did it out of an abundance of caution. Well, the reality is, folks, listen, the FAA is a burdensome. There, there are many ac- ways that that acronym has been spelled out by certain friends <laughs> yeah. of ours. Um, but the reality of it is, it is a burdensome regulatory nightmare. Bureaucracy. Bureaucracy. And when we turn around and, you know, he says on, he went on to say, these kinds of disruptions should not happen. And my primary interest now that we've gotten through the immediate disruption of the morning is to understand exactly how this was possible. Well, I well, I would hope so. I would hope so. That's, that's part of the job. <laughs> the reality of that is, here's... It, yeah, they speechless. Yeah, it, it really, it just is this place of, there's, there's no reason for you to be this far behind in a system shutdown that grounds America. If I may, Mitch, I, w- I want to go through the four major issues that have presented themselves to Pete Buttigieg, which is why the uh, Washington Examiner called this Pete Buttigieg's tough month. Uh, it is January 13th. Um, listen to some of these issues. S- supply chain. Yeah. Right. Railroad hey. strike. Right. Southwest canceling tens of thousands of flights right? and the FAA grounding all flights. Now, in one of those, Pete was on paternity leave for the adoption of he and his husband's child. I don't know how that worked, but for like how many weeks was he out? A lot. Didn't hear from him. Didn't even know he was gone, though. We had no idea he wasn't here. There is, you are you are that consequential or inconsequential that you you being gone does nothing. In fact, odds are you not being around probably helps the situation. Now, one more for the intersectionality quotient portion of the day. We've had Corinne Jean Pierre, first black lesbian press secretary for the president. We've had Pete Buttigieg, the first openly gay man appointed to the president's cabinet. We had the trans guy who was stealing Richard, luggage. Richard. Oh, no, no, no. That's, Sam, that's Samuel Brenton. Samuel we Brenton have, was what energy. What was it? Beer Bradley? He was in energy. What about the... And then we have Richard Levine. Yes. Right. Uh, who is the uh, uh, Rear assistant. Admiral or Deputy. something or another. Yeah. Admiral something, another of health. Um, now we go to... Hold on. Let me, let me make sure I get this right. The former attorney general... 
of the state of California. By the way, Rachel Le- Richard Levine is not even part of the military. No, is an admiral. He's an admiral. Zazem is an admiral. Yes, because they're part of the poof poofs. The United States Assistant Secretary for Health. Let's let's go back to the Attorney General, former Attorney General of the State of California, former U.S. Senator from the State of California, now Vice President of the United States. Ladies and gentlemen, the lover of yellow school buses. And then diagrams, and going and, to the moon, and going to the moon, and freedom, and the border. She is well. She's she likes going to the border, and then she doesn't go to the border. Is she here? De, is she by de facto also corn pop's sworn enemy? Well, no, no, she's not because corn pop didn't smoke a little bit of pot. Um, ooh, ooh. So, so, uh, if you remember, if you remember, Kamala, Kamala, whatever, a few months ago said that Ukraine is a small country and right. Russia is a bigger country hmm. and Russia invaded Ukraine and that's a problem Pick it she's, on the back, guy. she's back to give us another geography, geography lesson. lesson and this is guys mind blowing information here I convened and I've convened now at least three times uh, a group that has is their acronym CARICOM it is the Caribbean nations island nations in the Western Hemisphere, that is where the Caribbean is, we are also in the Western Hemisphere. They are our neighbors. They are our neighbors. Did you know, guys, did you know, did you know we're in the Western Hemisphere? I'm hemispherically I thought we were in the Southern Hemisphere. Was she teaching in a geography class or something? No, that appeared to be a, a legitimate, important think tank type group. There are flags. They know maps and such? They know maps and such. They know maps and things. Kamala... Kamala, whatever. It, she has to feel like the smartest person in the room, and she never will be, unless she's in a so, room all by herself. Even then, even then, even then, the potted plant over there in the corner. <laughs> the point is, she's just not good at this. Uh, but I will say, cue Kamala crazy laugh right now because she's loving whatever's happening to Joe over there. Callow cackles, giggles. Um, listen. Sometimes you just need your vice president to learn you something. And as we've seen now from KJP, as we've seen from Pete Buttigieg, as we've seen from Kamala Kamala, when you hire people completely based on where they fall in the intersectionality quotient, with little regard for how they can do a job. Real quick, I just had an epiphany. Our president when he was a member of the U.S. Senate, was considered one of the dumbest members of the Senate. And Kamala, Even when he who, was is, in school, he yes, who is now vice president, right. was one of the least important senators in the United States Senate. Her only claim to fame up to this point was grilling Brett Kavanaugh over something that never even happened. Me too. Right. And grilling Amy Coney Barrett through a computer screen from down the hall about whether she thought smoking causes cancer. She has no... She has no basis for doing this job. Now, the people elected her, and we have to deal with it. But, our country is being run by incompetent, incapable, lying, Joe Biden is a liar, like, for his entire life, from one liar to another, we're all liars. But he literally dropped out of his first presidential campaign because he plagiarized 
and stole the life story of a British politician. You can't make it up. It's not like he remade House of Cards. It's just like when he gets into his Scranton, his Scranton stories about they corn wiping, pop. They were wiping and, the oil off the windshield of my Corvette. Oil slicks. Oil slicks. You ever seen an oil slick hit the windshield in, in, in Delaware? Delaware. <laughs> Listen, man, it's I bad. I can see Alaska. It's bad. Uh, so, yeah, that was your bright, cheery news for the day. We're all being led by incompetent, incapable uh, fools. But, Except, we do know, but we do know where we are. We're in South Carolina where things are great. It's a great, <laughs> it's a great South day in South Carolina. Carolina. Now, to be yeah, fair, to be fair, uh, we wrap it back to the governor's inauguration. A wonderful event. The prayer yes. service awesome. earlier uh, earlier in the day. Great message from right the across pastor, the street. First Pres, I mean, who oh, who his accent captivates you? Um, great day, great day in South Carolina, and I think as we move forward into the legislative session that just started, and we'll really start hitting the gas. Uh, <laughs> but not on the stove. Uh, next week, I think we'll see some things beginning to move, including ESAs, which we'll update you on next week. We have several shows next week. Next week, we will also be, uh, not only will we be here in our podcast studios, but we're also filling in for our friend, Dr. Tony Beam, here in the upstate of South Carolina with Christian Worldview Today on Thursday and Friday next week. So if you are in the upstate, Make sure you listen in. But you can also you can also watch us on Facebook, Christian Worldview with Dr. Tony Beam on Facebook, and you can, uh, you can click to simulcast it all Yeah, not? you can, and, and you'll go. be able to uh, watch us there, just like you would watch us here. But you can also listen uh, his radio. Talk. His radio will never be the same. I just it's gonna be fun. You're gonna. <laughs> I mean, you're gonna. I mean, with the sultry true. tones of Dave and the. Uh, Wonderful takes on me. Wow. Meanwhile, there are other things that I've got to get done. So <laughs> We appreciate you joining <laughs> yeah, us on up. the fastest growing conservative podcast. I just got the wrap it up signal for Dave Wilson, who's got other more important things to do than talk to the people of South Carolina. I love you Mitch guys. Prosser, I'm Justin Hall. We'll see you next week here on the podcast and in Greenville.